you have your Bibles, if you will turn in them to Acts chapter 2, and if you need a, a, a Bible that's uh, in the chair in front of you, it's on page 911, urgency here. So we have some deacons coming around to see if you're opening your Bible right now. So, and as you're, as you're doing that, we do just want to make mention, as, as Mike prayed, that uh, we lost a dear brother, a dear friend, a, a husband, a, a dad, a, a grandfather, uh, Gary Thompson this week, who had a, a very hard battle with cancer. And what a dear man of God, what a testimony his life was. And we're going to celebrate that this week, this Thursday, from 1 to 3 p.m. here at Cornerstone. You can come and greet the family, share your love with them for a time of visitation. Uh, And then at 3 p.m., we're going to gather in here for a celebration of his life and of what Jesus has done through him and his legacy, and it is wonderful. So please join our church family and friends in the community as we do that, and keep, keep praying for the Thompsons and your, show your love toward them. Thank you for how you've, you've done that. We are in a, a sermon series uh, this, this time leading up to our fifth uh, anniversary celebration in May. We're looking at our vision and values as a church here from Acts chapter 2. So a few weeks ago, we had a sermon on our, our vision from Acts 2.42, a community of believers devoted to the apostles' teachings, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. I hope you've noticed our banners help uh, illustrate that for us. Uh, last week, Pastor Russ talked to us about the unity we have in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then now we're going to go into these four values uh, that are listed here on uh, the bulletin each week. Worship, discipleship, care, missions, and outreach. And so this morning, we're going to focus on this value of worship. And I'm sorry, I have too much to say here. I took an entire uh, course in seminary over a whole semester on worship, and there's just so much that we could say here. So uh, we will try to, to, to say as much as we can in the short amount of time. Here from Acts 2.42, let's read. Acts 2, 42 through 47, this is God's holy word to us, his instructions for his church. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe, awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for your holy word. Thank you for the truth. And thank you for the practical wisdom and instruction that is given to us, your church. So Lord, teach us and help us to be a a spirit-led, a spirit-driven church. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, to help us think about this value of worship this morning, perhaps a a story from church history. 
This past October, we celebrated 500 years of the Reformation uh, when the Lord did a great wonder and work in his church to reform it, to change it, to get us back to these, these distinctives that, that it is God alone who's to be worshipped. It's the scriptures alone that teach us doctrine about faith and life. It's, it's Christ alone, by grace, through faith alone, all these wonderful things that the Reformation taught us. And then there was a request that came to one famous reformer, John Calvin. Some of us call him St. Calvin. And Calvin wrote about the great need to reform the church's worship. During the time of the Reformation, the dominant church being the Roman Catholic Church, the, the, the church, church's worship had quite frankly gone man-centered, world-centered, ritual-centered, and rather than God-centered. In the Roman Empire, Charles, the Roman Emperor Charles V called the Diet of the Holy Roman Empire to meet in the city of Spire, Germany in 1544. And Martin Bucer, one of the great reformers of Strasbourg, he encouraged John Calvin to write, to write about the great need to reform the church, specifically to reform the church's worship. And so the result of this request came John Calvin's work called The Necessity of Reforming the Church, because there was great need. There was great idolatries being tolerated in the worship of God's church. Things like worshiping bread, man-centered rituals, many, many other practices that were out of accord with the plain teachings of Scripture. And so Calvin sought to address these, these evils that had crept into the early church. In addition, he offered remedies on what the church can do that shapes much of our worship service here today, that we may be more God-centered. So proper worship was Calvin's first concern. It was a high priority to him. And so we have much to be thankful to him, again, for reforms he's brought even to our worship service today, specifically how worship is to be God-centered. We're to be more and more reforming so that we are more and more centered upon God and his word, and it's less about us. And so the struggle for Calvin's time, it's the same for our time. This struggle, this tension that, that exists to make our worship, sometimes we want it to be more and more man-centered, more and more kind of friendly, you know, to the world versus what we, God has called us to in his word to be more centered around him, his praise, his glory, enjoying and glorifying him forever. And so as we continue our study and our vision and values here from Acts chapter 2, we find the marks of the healthy church, what a healthy church is to look like, what a, what a church filled with the Spirit of God is supposed to look like. And so these values that we are going to look at very specifically here in Acts chapter 2, that of worship, discipleship, care, mission, and outreach. That's what we're going to focus on. But this morning, let's just focus on this one, and that is the value of worship. Perhaps the most important one, the first importance here. Because proper God-honoring worship should be a high priority for his church, is it not? Is it not the testimony of many dying churches that they got away from the truth of scriptures? And they got away from worshiping God. So that is what we want to focus on this morning, the worship of Almighty God. Which begs the question, 
What is worship? What is worship? How do we define worship? What are we, what are we talking about when we talk about worship? There are many things that come to find, that come to mind for people when they think about worship. Uh, when folks ask me, hey, what is worship like at your church? I say, well, we, we worship God, and, and that's what we want to do. But really, what most people are asking in there is, what's the music like at your church? You know, and, and certainly music is important part of, of worship. We'll be singing forever and ever in heaven to the Lamb who was slain. Music is important. But I want us to get away from this narrow idea that worship is just about singing. It's about so much more. It certainly includes singing, but it also is the scriptures, preaching, the sacraments. So how should we define worship biblically, right? We want to start with what do the scriptures say? What do the scriptures teach? And let's, let's start with what the Bible says. Much of the Old Testament was written under the inspiration of the biblical author King David, right? We remember King David for beating Goliath, right? But really, he was a pretty awesome worship leader. He, he wrote a lot of songs. He was very musical. And God used him to, see, to show us in places like... First uh, Chronicles 16 and the Psalms, Psalms 29 and 96, where we find this biblical definition of worship. Here it is if you're taking notes. Worship is ascribing to the Lord glory due his name. Worship is ascribing to the Lord worship due his name or glory due his name. And so from this definition, we learn that worship is to revere and adore God as he has revealed himself in the scriptures. That's what worship is. The, the first instance that we find this idea of, of worship is really in Genesis chapter 4, where we see that Cain and Abel, you know, those famous brothers, they uh, were apparently giving offerings to the Lord, which was, of course, a, a way of showing worship. And the Lord was pleased with Abel's offering, but not Cain's. And so this is where we first learn in the scriptures that worship through offerings or through sacrifices were offered in the very, very beginning, praising the Lord God Almighty who had created them. But it's also where we learn that God cares about how he is worshiped. He is a holy, holy, holy God, and he is utmost concerned about how he is worshiped. And that's where we read that he was pleased with Abel's, but not Cain's worship. The first time that we actually find this word worship used in the Bible is also in Genesis, Genesis chapter 22. This very famous story where after 100 years, God had finally given Abraham a son, Isaac, right? Isaac was a young boy, and God tests Abraham. He asks him, he calls him to do something unthinkable. God calls him to go and to sacrifice Abraham's one and only son, the, the child of the promise. And so Abraham says that me and my son, tells his servants, me and my sons are going to go up on this mountain and we're going to offer worship through burnt offerings, through a sacrifice. And we see in this amazing story that God spares Abraham's son and he offers a goat that is tangled up in the bushes to be sacrificed instead. And we see that this example is that powerful Old Testament example of God is to be worshipped. He is the king. and 
he is the one later we see this is also a very powerful example of the gospel because God is the one who would send his one and only son to be sacrificed for sin. And that's why he's to be worshipped. So in the most literal sense of the word worship that we find in the Bible, it actually describes more of our posture rather than what we do. You look at the etymology of the word, yes, what you'll find is it's this idea that we are to, to bow down. We are to, to prostrate ourselves. We're to, we're to stoop low. That's what worship is. This description of worship shows us that our worship of Almighty God is to be an act of humility and reverence, whereby we show honor and glory and adoration to the Lord. So as we seek to define worship biblically, we need to understand that it has to do with the posture of our hearts. The Bible describes our hearts being our our whole being, all of who we are, that looks to God in reverence and praise. God's holiness, God's glory demands hearts and minds and lives that are focused upon God, His attributes, His mighty works. His awesome salvation, all that he has done is worthy of our worship. And the most essential thing that I think that you and I need to realize, need to understand about worship, is that you and I were created to worship. That is what we were designed to do. Whether you are a God-fearer, an atheist, agnostic, no matter what, you were created to worship. That's why the Shorter Catechism starts off, man's chief end, our primary purpose, our reason for being here is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Every single human being who has lived, uh, is living, or ever will live was created to worship. We're all hardwired, we're all programmed to give our devotion, to give our time, to give our energies, to give our lives to worshiping. And if this is true, and biblically it is true, then the question for you and for me is, who or what are we going to worship? You're going to worship. You're going to worship something. Is it the theologian Neil Young that said that? You got to worship somebody? You got to serve somebody? We are going to worship someone or something. What is it going to be? So we can learn from the Bible about worship. And here at Cornerstone Presbyterian Church, our, our, our emphasis, our concern, this morning, every Sunday morning, every day until Christ returns, is to understand how we are to worship and how we are to practice our worship. And so I want us to examine three things from the Scriptures. We'll find some of this from this passage, but really from the whole revelation of Scripture. These three important things about worship. Worship, number one, is to be centered around God and His Word. Worship is to be centered around the Lord God Almighty and His Holy Word. Secondly, worship can be formal or informal. We'll look at what that looks like. Thirdly, worship is to be responsive. 
we'll talk about what that means. First, worship is to be centered around God and His Word. This means that worship, the way we practice our worship, should be according to to the Scriptures, and it should be Christocentric, which means it should be Christ-centered. So let's unpack this a little bit. There has been, and there always will be, worship. Think about that. There has been and always will be worship. Before the heavens and the earth were created, God chose to create his angels to surround him in heaven, to surround the courts of heaven in in holy praise and adoration. And the scriptures say day and night, night and day, these angels fly back and forth before his heavenly court singing and saying as loud as we could possibly stand, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Isaiah describes this amazing scene for us in chapter 6, that God is, is surrounded by constant worship. Heaven will be about eternal worship of the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb who was slain, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the whole testimony of Scripture shows us that worship is all about God, ascribing to Him the glory that is due His name. And we learn this especially from God's special revelation, the Holy Scriptures, God's breathed out word. Sure, we can learn some things from what we call general revelation, I love climbing up here on Montesano and looking out over the Tennessee River Valley and seeing the sunset and the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge, Psalm 19 says. Certainly, we can see that God is glorious in his creation, but it is through his word that he has specifically revealed himself in Holy Scripture of how he is to be worshipped and why he is to be worshipped. This is what the reformers call the regulative principle. So this is kind of a nerdy word I'm going to teach you this morning, nerdy phrase here. The regulative principle, which is really important. We find it in the Westminster Confession of Faith in chapter 21 where it says, The light of nature showeth that there is a God who hath lordship and sovereignty over all, and is good and doth good unto all, and is therefore to be feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted in, served with the whole heart and with all of our soul and with all of our might. But the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself, and so limited by his own revealed will, that he may not be worshipped according to the imaginations and devices of men or suggestions of Satan under any visible representation or in any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scripture. So what were the, what were the, the divines trying to say here? What they were trying to teach us and what they believe from God's Word is that our worship is to be informed by what God has said about himself through his word. It is the word of God that teaches us and shows us who God is 
and how he is to be worshipped. That's why Jesus answered Satan in Luke chapter 4, saying to him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone only shall you serve. It was our Lord quoting scripture to Satan. And then Jesus said later in John chapter 14, he tells his followers, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so what is Jesus teaching here? He is showing us that not only is our worship to be informed by the word, but our worship is to come through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we mean to say that our worship is to be Christ-centered, Christocentric. Jesus is why we worship. If you leave, ever leave, a worship service at Cornerstone Presbyterian Church and did not hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ and Him crucified, either through the preaching, either through the singing or the reading of Scripture, then we have sinned. We have sinned, and we have erred, and we need to repent and turn to Jesus. Because our worship is to be Christ-centered. It's to be about Him alone, and we want to make much about Jesus. We don't ever want to get tired of talking about Jesus, who He is, and what He has done. And so what about cornerstone worship specifically? What are we striving for here at Cornerstone Presbyterian Church? Well, as we talked about this a few weeks ago, that our, our worship, we want to be driven by the ordinary means of grace. That means the, the plain old preaching and teaching of God's Word. The practice and administration of the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And the exercise of church discipline, certainly teaching and training and instruction, but correcting where that's important. So at Cornerstone, we want to be de- devoted to these things. We want to we practice reformed worship. Reformed worship. Worship that, is, that was informed by the Reformation. So what is reformed worship, you may ask? It's worship that is centered around the triune God and His Holy Word. And so we want our mantra to be at Cornerstone. We want to read the Bible Sing the Bible, pray the Bible, preach the Bible. We will never apologize for doing this. May God help us to never get away from this. Because it is in the Bible that we are pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the Bible that keeps us from irreverent and silly worship. It is the Bible that encourages us and shows us how to ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due His name. The greatest compliment I ever receive after worship services here on Sunday at Cornerstone is when folks will say, I truly sense the presence of God during that service. Or others have said to me, and I really appreciate this, that that was the most God-centered Christ-honoring worship service I have ever been a part of. That's what we're going for here. That's the goal every week, is to be Christ-centered, God-glorifying in everything we do. 
There's a big trend in local churches around our country to try to be more seeker-friendly. What folks mean by that is we need to be uh, more attuned to what's going on in the world so that when people come to church on Sunday, they won't feel uncomfortable. And so buildings are built, uh, experiences are created at churches, and so-called worship services are all designed just to get folks into the building, especially non-believers, and make them feel welcomed and, and comfortable and excited to be there. I'm going to say something really unpopular right now. That is not what we are going for at Cornerstone Presbyterian Church. That is not what we're trying to do here. When we are here, when we're gathered together on Sunday morning for corporate worship, we are to praise and adore the living and true God. And there should be a sense of awe and wonder and reverence before a holy God who sent his only son to die. I will go so far as to say that when unbelievers show up to a worship service at Cornerstone, I hope they feel uncomfortable. I don't want you to make them feel uncomfortable. You're supposed to be friendly, okay? (laughs) You need to be loving and encouraging and look around right now and make sure you meet someone you don't know and you love them and you tell them they're glad to hear. But what I mean by this is I want them to be uncomfortable Because when they leave here, I want them to wonder who and what were those people worshiping. I hope that non-believers would leave here with a feeling of wonder and confusion because they just participated in something that was beyond them, that was something they'd never seen before, that they were so uncomfortable with their sin and that the hound of heaven, the Holy Spirit, was after them like a dog Uh, stirring in them great conviction and confusion in their hearts that they wanted to say, I want to know God more. I want to know his scriptures more. I want to know what must I do to be saved. My friends, that is what we're going for. That is why we are here. To be face to face with the holy God, to be confronted that we are sinners and we need a savior. And yes, there is a tension that exists that we're to fill in, in worship. And I think a biblical one. This tension between certainly we want to know and understand that God is holy, holy, holy. He's transcendent. He is, he is bigger than big. He is otherly. He is the greatest thing ever. He's a God of power and might. And yet we also need to know the eminence of God. That God is a father. That he is loving that he came in the form of a man. He humbled himself. He cared for his sheep. He died for us. And he sent his one and only son into the world to give us truth, to sacrifice for us, and to send his Holy Spirit to, to dwell within us, to show us the way of truth and knowledge by his, his very presence in our lives where he says, God no longer dwells in the temple built by human hands. He dwells in his people. We need to know both of these things. Because a biblical and theological doctrine and practice of worship emphasizes both of these things. God is transcendent. He is holy. 
He is above and beyond His creation, yet He is also imminent. The transcendent God is the one who came to be with us through Jesus Christ, our Lord, Emmanuel. What a wonderful God we worship, that these two things are here and must inform our worship to be God-centered around Him and His Word. I told you all I had too much to say here. Secondly, worship can be informal or formal, formal or informal. If we have a true biblical understanding of worship, then this should be a high priority in our church life. And we should develop it. We should, we should work on it to be, to be praising God Almighty in our, in our formal gatherings, our Sunday morning gatherings, but also informally in like our private worship. So formal things like Sunday services, prayer services, weddings, funerals, but informally. Things like family worship, personal worship, personal devotion times, small group Bible study. These things are all important. They were all mentioned here in Acts chapter 2. They were formally gathering in the temple, corp- in the, in the temple uh, courts to corporately come together, and they were also gathering in folks' homes to fellowship and to break bread. But let me speak for a second about our formal worship here at Cornerstone. Again, what are we going for? What's our framework? What are we striving for here? It's this. We're striving to be historically rooted, joyfully presented, and passionately pursued. Historically rooted, we believe history teaches us something about who God is and how he's to be worshipped, because we've seen some really bad examples, but also some really good. Joyfully presented. It's okay if you want to hold your hand up. It's okay if you want to smile. It's okay if you want to bounce around a little bit. Just don't hit anybody. <laughs> and passionately pursued. I had someone tell me the other day, I don't understand this music y'all sing at Cornerstone. Man, your people sing it loud. <laughs> That's what we want to do. We want to sing loud, participate. We want to be passionate about our worship. And so we're going to have lots of scripture readings. We're going to sing songs that are theologically and biblically sound and Christ-rooted. Our music style, as you've noticed, is a little blended. We're going to sing some old hymns, some new hymns, and things that help us focus upon and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And we love the sacraments. We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ has given these two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, to help edify His church. They are a means of grace. That that thinking about Christ's body broken and His blood shed through the bread and through the through the wine or juice, is is just as important as listening to a sermon because it is a means of grace that he has promised to strengthen and nourish us. So we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper at least once a month on the second Sunday of each month. And we want to celebrate more and more baptisms through children (laughs) and through others coming to faith through believer's baptism because we believe that this is what Christ has called his church to do. I wish I had more time to elaborate on all these things, and there's more to say about informal worship. The informal and informal, they complement each other. They're not to be at odds with each other. The church needs both. But I will just say to you, don't let just Sunday to be a day you worship. 
Spend time in God's Word with your family and yourself, communing with God through His Word because it is vital for spiritual life. Thirdly, our worship is to be responsive. Presbyterians are usually not accused of being overly responsive in worship. I've never heard anybody say, I went to a charismatic Presbyterian church. If you've been to one, I want to know. (laughs) And and, and yet, that's what we're called to do. We're called to be responsive in our worship. We are to participate together. That's why we have all these readings. That's why we want you to sing. We're, We're doing this together. We're called to respond to one another in worship and to what God has done. And so in Acts 2 here, We saw that their worship created a sense of awe. They were filled with wonder and and, and reverent fear and and, and joy and glad and sincere hearts as they were worshiping God together, both formally and informally. But what I want to say here and what I believe that we should be absolutely clear about is that worship is not about entertainment. We're not here to be entertained. Worship is something very unique to being a Christian, to be in reverence before God. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't enjoy being here because being around family is enjoyable. We are a family, brothers and sisters in Christ. We fellowship together. We help meet the needs of one another. We worship together. But if you come here to be entertained, just like every other thing, think about it, every other thing in the world is designed to entertain us. That's not why we're here. The joy and all that we experience should be about our experience worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ and the everlasting joy that brings to our lives. So let me just say, don't come here to be a spectator. Please come here to to worship together. Our worship services are designed to do this. This is one of the awesome things about worship. We get to do it together. We're designed to be here together. God is glorified when his people are together, praising him and glorifying him. Just last, just personally, thinking about worship. Most of our problems in life can be attributed to misplaced or disordered worship. Most of our problems can be attributed to our worship being in the wrong place. God has created us to have vertical relationships with Him. We're, we're to we're, we're created and designed to worship Him, but also we're, have horizontal relationships. I, the way we relate to the world and the way we relate to each other by loving each other. It's our vertical orientation to God that gives us meaning and purpose in life. But it's our horizontal orientation by the way we encourage and spur one another on. Paul Tripp says this, it's important to realize that you can search for life in only two places. Either you have found life to the fullest vertically, or you are shopping for it horizontally. Or to put it another way, 
You're either going to worship the creator or his creation. And when we put our hope and our trust in things that are not promised to give us life and meaning and satisfaction and joy, we will be utterly disappointed. But when we see that we are put here on this earth to glorify God and enjoy him forever, that enjoy part is important and it is good. There is joy, knowing God, loving him, and worshiping him forever. And so I ask you this morning, where is your worship? Where is your worship? May God help us. May God help Cornerstone Presbyterian Church to give him glory and him alone, that we are always on the the path of correction when we get off of what he has called us to do, to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. May we worship him forever. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God, we ask that you would forgive us for we have worshipped other things besides you. Forgive us for we have made idols of things of this world and of other relationships besides you. Forgive us for we have failed to see that Jesus is enough, that he satisfies all our longings. Lord, when we get off of this important call in our lives to worship you and glorify you forever, we pray, Lord, that you would correct us correct us. Would you please, by your spirit, convict us where we have put our hope in other things besides you. And oh God, we thank you that Jesus again satisfies all our longings, that he is the one our hearts were created for. He is our wonderful, merciful Savior. We praise you We adore you. We give you glory for him. In his name we pray. Amen.